So if you're comfortable telling folks, hey, by the way, at the end of this, if things have been amazing, I'm going to I'm going to ask you for a review. And I, I hope that's OK. And I hope you're willing to do it. Right. So if you're comfortable making that ask at an early part in the process when they're a new client, do it. If you're not, that doesn't give you an out from doing it, but it means you've got to find a different way to do it. You're listening to the Real Estate Sessions podcast. I'm your host, Bill Risser, General Manager of U.S. Sales and Marketing for Rate My Agent, a digital marketing platform allowing you to leverage the power of your verified reviews. Listen in as I interview leaders in the industry, getting their backstories and their journey to the world of real estate. Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode 263 of the Real Estate Sessions podcast. As always, thank you so much for tuning in and thank you so much for telling a friend. Today, we're going to talk about referrals. They're so important in the world of real estate. Um, they're they're a part of what I do with Rate My Agent, right? Helping agents you know, make it easier to get reviews and testimonials because those are the kind of things that if you refer somebody to uh, an agent, they're probably going to go Google that person. Well, I've got an expert. Her name is Stacy Brown Randall. Stacy has a, a podcast called Roadmap to Grow Your Business Podcast. She also has a coaching program, Growing Your Business by Referral. Uh, there's a book involved as well. Lots of really good stuff. Uh, can't wait to get started with this. Stacy, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much, Bill, for having me on. Yeah, I, I'm really excited. I've heard you on a couple of uh, episodes of other podcasts. I love your podcast. And I think your energy, uh, your positivity, obviously, for what you do for a living is absolutely perfect. And so it's going to be a lot of fun today. And I know that people that listen to my show will get a lot out of this. Um, I always like to start with where people live, what they experienced growing up. And for you, I know you're based in Charlotte, an amazing city. Uh, are you a native North Carolina, North Carolinian? I'm actually a native South Carolinian. So right. I grew up in Greenville, South Carolina. Spent a couple of years when I was younger, around like eight or nine years old for a couple of years in Boulder, Colorado. But we came back to Greenville. Uh, family was always the pullback for my parents. And then when I graduated, I was like, I will be the child that crosses the state line and gets out of South Carolina. So I went, you know, like an hour and a half away to Charlotte. <laughs> but I have been here since I graduated college. So we got to talk about college. You went to, uh, I like to call where you went to school, the good USC. Are you, do you <laughs> Me agree too. With okay, good, good. Because I, I grew up in San Diego and hated everything LA. So, uh, so you went to University of South Carolina in Columbia, which... A friend of mine's daughter's there now. Um, first of all, tell me, tell me what what college life was like in Columbia because that is a college town, right? It had to be just a great experience. It really was. It was. I mean, it, you know how the movie Groundhog Day repeats the same day over and over again. I have told my husband, I've told my kids, I've told my parents. If I had to pick a time in my life to go back on repeat, it would be those four years. Yeah. Like I just had the best. I mean, yes, Columbia. I mean, USC is a great school and I got a great education, regardless of what people think about South Carolina educations. I got a great education, but it is a party school. <laughs> and I was in a sorority and did all the things that you would expect that, you know, you do when you're in college. And I had a great time. I also um, I really held a lot of leadership positions, too, which I think helped to develop me in a lot of different ways. Um, and so I got exposed to a lot of things too. But I, I mean, I loved just about every day of those four years. I mean, obviously I remember even more fondly now it being so long ago, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was, it was awesome. It was, it's a very hot city in the summer. 
right? I mean, it, this is not the most appropriate thing, I guess. Maybe you can edit this out if you don't like it, but it is referred to as the armpit of the South. Like oh. it is very well, hot, but it's awesome. That sounds like somebody at Clemson saying that. <laughs> I would just think there's the rivalry stuff. Maybe no, not really. Yes. I'm, I'm sure someone <laughs> from Clemson said it. Well, don't worry. Yeah. We have our own saying for their ipte, right? It's prison time again, y'all. From that, oh. back from the '90s, of all the clubs and people are like, we hate her now. Turning off the episode. This is, this is great. I love it. We'll keep <laughs> it going. So SDC, ACC. It's it's just there's nothing better than that kind of stuff going on. So As someone who's relatively new to the South, I live in Florida. I've only been here three years. Um, I've learned a whole new level of competition and, and all those different things. It's super, super fun. So let's say 21 year old Stacy. What 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 was what was your plan? What was your roadmap? What where were you headed towards? Oh, so if you would have asked me what like 18 year old Stacy wanted to do when I went off to South Carolina, it was very clear. I was going to be the next Katie Couric. There oh. was no question about it. I hosted a teen show through high school when I was in Greenville. Um, it was called Video Max. It was myself and two other kids that were the host of this show. And I had been bitten by the theater bug when I was younger as well. And I knew I wanted to be uh, a journalist. And so and I wanted to be sitting at the anchor desk, replacing Katie Couric. I figured I was young enough that someday she was going to retire, right? She needed a replacement and I was happy to fit the bill. So I went off to school. South Carolina has a really good broadcast journalism program. If you stay in the Southeast, it's really Georgia and South Carolina that have the two best broadcast journalism programs. And so I was in South Carolina and that's where I decided to go and all the way through. And then I had an internship um, the summer after my junior year at a local TV station. And I was like, yeah, no, I don't want to do this. <laughs> my parents were like, what? I was like, I have a communications degree. I can speak. This has got to serve me well. I can write and I can speak. This has to serve me well over the course of my life. I didn't know that at the time, but it totally has. And so I decided that, oh, no. I mean, I finished my degree. I have my broadcast journalism degree. And I was like, yeah, no. And I even had offers to do the weekend weather and weekend anchor jobs in Columbia and some other places. And I turned them all down. And I was like, I'm going to figure something else out. I don't want to do this. And my parents were, they were, to be honest, they were kind of devastated, but they got over it. So, but yeah, that was my plan was to replace Katie Couric. I would think the first five years of a career in that, in that play, in that business is really tough for, for young people. It is my, the, the weekend weather job that I got offered yeah. uh, because they have scouts from TV stations that like come into us while we put on a newscast every day, part of our senior semester. And the, the, the job offer I got to do the weekend weather, like weekday reporter, weekend weather girl, so to speak. I don't know. You can't be a meteorologist until you go on to school for it. It was, I think the starting salary was $18,000. Yeah. And this was still in the 2000s. Like I'm not that old. So like, <laughs> you know, it was, yeah, I was like, I no, I just, uh -uh, I don't want to yeah. do this. So, so instead, you know, you kind of head off into, I mean, there's some, if I, you look at your kind of resume, there's a mixture of marketing and some consulting positions. Mm -hmm. um, you, you end up going back to school, uh, a master's in organizational and strategic communication, which I love the title of that. That's awesome. And then, you know, now your current role, and I love the, I love what you call yourself, chief referral ninja master. I love that. So let's talk about, let's kind of weave through that path of how that happened. You know, when I graduated college, it was all about where can I get a job? It was really weird for not just my parents, but for me and even my friends to be like, what, Stacy's graduating without a plan? Like, this is the girl who always has a plan. Uh, and for the first time, I was like, when I turned down those job offers, I was like, so what am I going to do? But I had done a lot 
in school with like nonprofits and, you know, some of my leadership positions had given me opportunities to meet people. So I really kind of went in first into nonprofit and I landed my first job. I had to decide at that point if I was going to move to Atlanta or Charlotte, which are kind of like the two bigger cities when you're leaving South Carolina. And I was like, I don't want to go to Atlanta. I think I want to be in Charlotte. And so I took actually my very first position out of college. I worked for a lobbying group in the hospitality industry, uh, but it, which of course was a nonprofit, but it was a lobbying organization. And hospitality is in my background. We have more restaurants in my family and hospitality type businesses in my family than I care to admit, because I think restaurant people are crazy. But I can say that because, you know, they're all over my family. I, mean, you know, I was even right. married to one. My husband at one point in a restaurant for 15 years. And so from when I graduated, it was like, okay, where can I get a job? Okay, I can do nonprofit work. So I kind of started there at that nonprofit with the lobbying firm. And then it was just through a series of really good opportunities that I moved over to the Chamber of Commerce, where I was able to meet a lot of people and do a lot of different jobs in there and kind of like hone my skills in sales, and then really kind of get it into HR. Then I went to work for a local magazine and did more marketing and sales, and kind of did a little bit with HR. So it was always this portfolio of work that I found myself doing. I actually used to refer to myself at one of my, one of the companies where I worked is I was the hole plugger. It was just mm. kind of, it sounds terrible. I know. No, that's, but, that makes perfect sense. But it was kind of like, yeah. Oh wait, we need somebody to learn how to sell banner ads for our, our new website because you know, this is the early two thousands and that's all the rage. Right. So we right. need someone who can sell ads on our website. Oh, Stacy will figure it out. Like give her some training and she can talk to anybody. So just go, she'll go figure it out. And that's what I did. Like, if you look back at some of the things that I have done, it's because someone just said, well, Stacey, we'll just figure it out. I mean, I went to work for a local magazine to do marketing, but they needed to overhaul their circulation department. So I learned how to do circulation. Like it was just one of those things. A lot of the pieces I have come from that. And then in the midst of all those different jobs, I also decided because I, at this time, I don't believe I was married. If I was married and we had no children, I decided to get my real estate license as well. And it was like a part-time agent, right? But back in 2006, it was like easy to be yeah, a part-time. Right, right, right before, right? yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. it was so easy to yeah. be a part-time agent and make bank. Like it was, it was kind of crazy. So, you know, I just did all these different things because I don't like being bored. And I liked experimenting and trying new things. And so I did. I had this background with sales and marketing. And, you know, and then eventually it kind of twisted. It kind of turned more into like HR. And then I got some certifications around HR space. Then I started my first company, which was an HR consulting firm. And with some big name clients like KPMG and BDO, Ally Bank. And yet four years later, that business would fail. And I would find myself back in corporate America, this time working in the financial space and was like, I need an escape route. And what am I going to do? I got certified as a productivity and business coach while I was working in corporate America because I was always looking for an escape plan. I was always trying to be like, what's my exit strategy? Because I meant to be an entrepreneur. And then I started my second business. Um, and that's this business. But this was like, you know, more than eight years ago. And that was really focused on productivity and business coaching. And as I was trying to figure out how in the heck am I going to grow this second business because I cannot live through another business failure and I cannot go buy a whole bunch of suits and heels and go back to corporate America. Like, what's that going to look like? So I started experimenting on my own business to figure out how to grow it in a way that would work for me because then I had two and eventually three children. And so networking every night was not going to be an option. Right. And so I figured out my referral strategy. My coaching practice started exploding in growth. My coaching clients were like, how are you growing so fast? And I'm like, oh, well, I just 
have this referral strategy and it's working. And they're like, so then teach that to us. Thanks for your email tips of how to manage our inbox. But we would really love to know how you're getting these referrals without asking. And then as I started doing that, I just kind of did a whole big pivot with the business. And we've been doing that now for a couple of years of just focused on a few key pieces of where I help business owners grow. But it has been like, it's funny, like if you would have told me at 21 that these were all the things that I was going to do, I'd be like, well, there's no rhyme or reason to any of that. And it sounds like a lot of wasted time. And now in the seat that I sit in and I look back and I'm like, guess what? I have a lot of real estate agents that are in my program and I clearly understand their world because I was one. And I have a lot of financial advisors that are in my program because I actually worked for a financial company and I understand compliance and all those issues that they have to deal with and all the, the demons that they deal with when it comes to referrals. I looked back and I realized while well, God was like, nope, I know exactly what I'm doing here, Stacy. Thanks for going along for the ride because it put me exactly where I am today to be able to serve and help who I help. I mean, you were displaying that entrepreneurial spirit being the hole plugger. I mean, that's what you were doing. <laughs> you, you were learning all these different things on the fly, right? So yeah, it was definitely definitely in your destiny. I think that's, that's awesome. You talk about these different verticals you work in, right? You, lots of different business owners, um, service providers need you know, help growing their business. Is there, other than referral, is there like a common denominator amongst all of them? Yeah. So for what I do with the work that I do, whether it's with my referrals without asking strategy, or it's um, helping them build sticky client experiences so they can mm -hmm. be referable, or it's my goal finishers club so I can help them crush their goals year after year. The common denominator between all of that is had I had those pieces with my first business, I know it would not have failed. And so when I determined and started my second business of like, what's going to make me successful? And then what am I uniquely qualified to teach? It was really looking at what made my second business successful and what I was working with my clients on and seeing success in and knowing that these are the things that I can teach you. These are the things that I'm really good at. And then I've now had hundreds and hundreds of students go through all three of those kind of areas, whether it's goals, and we do goals very differently in my world, but it's reverse goal setting, sticky client experiences or referrals without asking. Those are the areas where I know that I can help a business owner avoid being a member of the business failure club because I have a badge and I don't want anybody else to have a badge in that club. It's a big enough club as it is. It doesn't need any more members. And so that's really my driving force of what I know I'm uniquely but what I'm uniquely prepared to teach and what I'm uniquely able to teach is based on those areas that I know help a business avoid business failure. And the other thing they all have in common is they're all small business owners or solopreneurs. And typically it's on them to grow their business. They may have a couple of employees, but you know, the real estate agent, even if they're under an umbrella of another company, it's on them, their commission. Like you better make something happen or you're not gonna pay your mortgage. And so it's that kind of like spirit that I love as well. It's the same thing with financial advisors or attorneys who go out on their own and leave a big firm and start their own company. They're all those small business owners, solopreneurs, and they're trying to make it. And that's really who I resonate with because I've not made it and then I've made it. So I can yeah. also see both sides of it. I love the been there, done that um, mentality. Yeah, that's great. You Let's talk about real estate professionals, right? I've, I've spent 20 years in the business now in the title world, right? And, and working closely with a lot of realtors. And some of the things I've done in that time frame were, were helping agents with technology and, and kind of getting them up to speed on certain things. But I can't tell you how many agents I would talk to over those years. And, and when you bring up the database, it'd go, oh yeah, I'm not really doing a very good job there. And I, I'd sit there and I'd go, that's that's like the only thing you should probably be taking care of, right? So 
as you if you as you've worked with these professionals, you've done it yourself. Why is the database so hard for them to to, to treat like gold? You know, it's interesting. I have um, a Keller Williams agent right now that is in my inner circle, uh, which is like the next level after my growth by referrals program. So I get to work a little bit more one-on-one with them. And she was just brilliant in how she kind of said it. She was like, you're kind of taught when you get into business that everybody just goes into your database and everybody kind of gets the same categorization. Like even if they're not a client, they're kind of called a client. And this is like your sphere, right? And so what I think while that works, when you have like 12 people in your database, when you've just started in business, you take someone like her who's now been in business like 15 years and she's like, it's a mess. Like, and I'm not quite sure how to clean it up and what it should look like and how I should use it. And there's a lot of different database providers out there that look at things a little bit differently and what they value. So what the systems that are available to them and how you can, you know, make it special, you know, and make it yours or not. And I think that it's just kind of like information overload. And it is the one thing that people are like, it's in there. I know I can find it when I need it. So at least it's somewhere. I need to go sell. I need to go meet people. I need to go help. I mean, most of the time people who, and this isn't always the case, but a lot of times the people who are really, really good at selling homes, they're, they're, they are detail oriented when it comes to your transaction and making sure that you get the inspections done and the due diligence period is hit and like all that stuff happens and they get you to the closing table with a correct HUD statement. I know they're not called that anymore. That's just what they were called when I was an agent and I don't know what they're called now. (laughs) So they get you to the table with everything, right? Like they're super, super detail oriented because they're so focused on you as the client that sometimes their own house is just a little messy and things aren't always kept the way it should be. But I think in the beginning, it's because a lot of them are taught and it doesn't matter what company you're with. A lot of them are taught just put it into the database and give them some kind of categorization. And most of them, they're told to just label as clients. But the truth is that database is made up of referral sources, clients, current clients, previous clients, right? Strategic partners. Like there's just so many different categorizations. And if you don't start with something, I think it makes it really hard to go back and be like, now I've got 1,500 or 2,000 or 3,000 people in there. That seems daunting to go through and start categorizing all of them. Probably one of the worst phrases in the English language is we got to clean up the database, right? I mean, that's just, a, it just, it's just a nightmare. Yeah, that makes sense. I've recently left Fidelity. I'm, I'm now the GM of the US market for rate my agent, right? And we're a, a, like a digital marketing platform, but focus, we focus on verified reviews. And so I'd like your take on, in, in, as you're helping real estate agents, as you're talking about how they're going to use your system and how you're going to, get these referrals without asking, which we're going to talk about that. Do these do these reviews and the importance of that in the real estate space play into your strategy? They do. And so uh, it's funny though. I love that you asked this question because so many people hear my, my, like, my like tagline, right? Referrals without asking. And it's like they hone in on the without asking and they start applying it to things I never said. They're like, oh, so I don't have to ask for the business. It'll just come to me. I'm like, in what world, right? <laughs> and I'm like, no, you don't ask for referrals, right? You don't ask for someone to put their reputation on the line for someone else who's going to spend money with you. That's what we're not asking for. But you should be asking for reviews and testimonials. I actually have a whole podcast episode that's on the five times you can't ask, just never for referrals. And it is like, you should definitely be asking for the business, right? You should know how to do a sales process, but also with reviews and testimonials, that it should be a part of your process for how you ask for that. And it's important because most people, though they can love you to death and tell you that they love working with you and you're amazing, 
they're not going to go put it in writing or in a video without some type of prompting from you. And I think that, you know, the truth is if I'm referred to someone, I am less inclined to check them out online. And I'm more inclined to take the recommendation of my friend if I truly trust my friend. But the reviews, the testimonials, right? All those things build your credibility for every other type of prospect or lead you're going to have. And if I do go check you out after being referred and I see other people who love working with you, it only solidifies my decision to be like, take my money, right? Let's work together now, which means we get to the paying client part way faster than any other right type of prospect that we're going to have coming in the door. So, you know, I have reviews and testimonials for my programs that I go through, I actively seek them out for my students. I typically wait for opportunities when it makes it easier to do the asking. Like when someone emails me and they're like, oh my gosh, I did this thing you told me to do in step one and I got all these referrals. I'm like, great, can I get that in writing? Right, like, can I use what you just emailed me? Right, so I do think that there are times it makes it easier to request it, but I do think you need a strategy and a system where you can go in and whatever platform you choose to use, whether that's going to be online or you want it in an email so you can take it and put it on your website or both, all of the above, they're so critical to building that credibility that it's something you shouldn't overlook. Would you would you agree with maybe setting the expectation possibly for a review as part of that process? Maybe maybe at the listing consultation or something along those lines. Yeah. So I think that I think some people are comfortable doing that and others aren't. Right. And so I always tell folks that if you're not comfortable doing it, let's be honest, you won't. But that doesn't give you a pass to never being able to do it at some point, which means the first time they say, oh, my gosh, I couldn't do this without you. Oh, my gosh, we would be so lost if you weren't helping us. Oh, my gosh, you just saved us a gazillion million dollars or whatever. When they mention something has been good. That has to be your opening to go and be like, hey, when this is all said and done, I'd love to get that right right there, what you just said in writing. Or if you want to go ahead and do it now, like whatever the language is, whatever your process is, you have to build. It's not so much always having the time during the process when you're going to make sure you make that request for a review or a testimonial. But it's you knowing that at some point throughout that uh, throughout that process with a client, you have to know what you're looking for that will prompt you to then ask. It's like using the if then rules. If someone tells me they love me and I'm doing a great job, then I will tell them I'd love to get that in writing and get them to place it online or whatever it is. If then Excel statements, listen to you. That's awesome. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) um, How about this? Uh, Many agents have neglected their database. They, They just know they should stay in touch with these people. They know it's a primary source of business. Is there, do you have tips or ideas for how to stay Gotta not stay connected, but get reconnected to the people that you should have been talking to. Yeah. So I think this goes back to how organized is your database because the messaging you're going to use when you're trying to reconnect really depends on the category that person falls into. So there would be a different strategy I would teach for someone who's like, hey, I need to reconnect with all of my previous clients, right? So in my Sticky Client Experience Program, we refer to those as alumni clients. Hmm. Instead of calling them past or previous, I just like alumni because think about how a university treats their alumni. Well, they want money from them. So they stay in connection with them. Right. And there's a process and a system for how they do that. And so I I think that if you have clients that you have had in the past, your alumni clients, you need a strategy for how you're going to reengage with them. Once you've reengaged with them, you really should have some things that continue. So you're not having to reengage, you know, every like nine months because you've fallen off the wagon. So I think it depends on the reengagement strategy that I would 
teach somebody has to do with who we're talking to, because then the messaging matters so much. And sometimes I think the messaging matters more than how often we're doing something. I do think there needs to be regularity to it. But if you have good messaging and it comes from a place of caring, right, and not just a, hey, don't forget I'm a realtor because we know and we know a thousand of you. Thanks so much. Right. I mean, the the truth is it, it really depends on who's receiving that when you're trying to stay in touch, because if it's alumni clients that you haven't talked to in forever, yes, you need a re-engagement strategy. And yes, the messaging there matters so much. But I would teach that completely different from how I would teach you for how you re-engage with people who've referred you in the past. Mm -hmm. So we would identify your referral sources. That's someone who's referred you in the past. And then we would say, well, are they active? Meaning, have they referred you in the past two years? Or are they inactive, meaning it's been more than two years since they've referred you? And then we would have a strategy for how we re-engage with our referral sources that maybe we have neglected in a way that we shouldn't have. And I would tell folks that number one thing that I teach people when they want referrals without asking is we need to know exactly who your referral sources are. So even if you don't exactly have a re-engagement strategy for staying in touch with your, your past or previous or alumni clients, that you have to have a process, a plan, a strategy in place to generate more referrals from people who've referred you in the past. Like it's the easiest place to start. That doesn't mean you won't need to turn other people into referral sources. And that's definitely something that I want you to know how to do as well. But you need to be able to identify who your referral sources are. And then you need to have a plan of how you're going to engage with them throughout, not just this year, but next year. And the year after, and I like wash, rinse, repeat models because we we will do them when they're easy, right? But there needs to be a strategy in place where when we have referral sources, we're doing a few key things. When we are actually reaching out to them and engaging with them, we're deepening relationships because referrals only come from relationships. If I know a thousand realtors, why am I picking you over the 999 other ones that I know? It's probably because we have a relationship. And that means that I probably haven't gone, you know, nine months without having a conversation with you or hearing from you in some way, shape or form. So if I've referred you in the past, I need you to know who I am. I need you to identify your referral sources, but then your outreach to them needs to be memorable and meaningful. So I'm not talking about your monthly newsletter where you give me the market report. Like that's great. Have that, but don't think that's a deepening or strengthening a relationship with me as a referral source. I need memorable and meaningful outreach. I need it to keep you top of mind. So we're probably looking at four to eight times in a year, though this is not daily, weekly, or monthly because that's too much. And I need it to also give you an opportunity to plant referral seeds. So you kind of keep me thinking about you from a referral perspective. And that alone, referral source strategy, that's its own referral strategy. And it's actually separate from a re-engagement strategy you may have for previous clients. Yeah, I I love that word or the, the term you use, referral seeds, right? And that, that, that ties directly into your philosophy. You're not directly asking, but you're right. definitely planting seeds so they understand <laughs> how important it is for you, right? Yes. Like asking is the cardinal sin. Right. <laughs> never, ever do that. There's so much stuff that I could tell you about why you never, ever do that. Yeah. And it's actually, it's it's not because asking is going to like, it, if you ask someone today for a referral, I'm not going to say you may not get one. But I will tell you that if you become known as the person who's always asking, everyone's going to run away from you. And it's the long-term effect that asking for referrals has that when you just fatigue the people you're asking and you're damaging the relationship, that's what I'm trying to protect people from. But that means then, okay, well, what's the flip side of that? The flip side of that is telling them that you care, 
showing appreciation for the fact that they refer you, remembering them on a pretty regular basis so they understand how valuable that they are to you because they refer you. And then using that referral seed language, the easiest, and people are always like, okay, give me an example. So let me just go ahead and give you an example of a referral seed. The easiest one to use every time you receive a referral is this one specific script we use called the thank by name. Every time you receive a referral, the easiest way to plan a referral seed is write a handwritten thank you card. And I mean, Bill, like get out your own note cards, your own pen. Don't be handing this off to somebody or a third party. Right, exactly. I've got some right back there. <laughs> um, but like, it's it's important for us to handwrite that thank you card. And then the thank by name, it's one sentence. It's thank you for referring Bill to me, right? And so it it's in that moment, what people don't recognize, it's reminding the person when they receive that card, let's be honest, typically at least a week after they've referred you, mm-hmm. You're like reinforcing the fact that, hey, I value the fact that you referred someone to me, that I value enough to even spend time writing you a card. And then when I read it, I remind myself, oh, that's right. I did refer that to them. And then we've planted a seed. And if we have a strategy behind that to fill in those times when we're not sending thank you cards, but to fill in those times when we're waiting for the next referral to send the next thank you card, that memorable and meaningful outreach is actually what keeps us top of mind with them from a referral perspective. And we use referral seeds in lots of different ways, but it's important for people to understand it comes from a place of gratitude and thankfulness that they referred you, which is why you do anything within your referral plan. You know, there are a lot of referral, uh, we'll call them gurus in real estate. (laughs) (laughs) You're very aware of that, right? I Um, like to refer to myself as younger than all (laughs) of the other gurus. But maybe a little bit prettier. I'm just saying. <laughs> well, I'm trying to think of some of the guys. Uh, you win. Yes, absolutely. Um, <laughs> the the you 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 separate referrals into a almost in a different light than they do. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, and I think it's because I look at them from a contrarian perspective. Okay. Right. I mean, I think that, hey, if you listen, if you're comfortable asking for referrals and there have been guys who've been doing this a lot longer than me that have been in the industry that kind of cornered the market. I know because when people leave them and come to me, they don't necessarily say nice things about me um, to the people leaving and that are coming to me. But um, I think it's because as a contrarian, the way that I look at referrals and looking at it as completely different makes everything about what I teach different. And I will have those agents who join my program and they're like, okay, I have to unteach myself a lot of the things I've been listening to for the last five, 10, 15 years, however long they've been in the industry. I have to unteach myself some of those things and reset the mindset before my program can even work for them. And, but then they're always like, but it's just a a breath of fresh air because I was never comfortable asking. And the tactics were always how to ask, when to ask, who to ask, which is typically everybody. And I'm like, no, like not everybody's ever going to refer you. So why are we worrying about all those people? Let's focus on who we know has the propensity to refer us or we wish were referring us or has before. And I think just because I look at referrals from the brain science and the like, just looking at it from the the philosophy and the psychology behind and the research behind how referrals happen, they got nothing to do with you. Like we think they do. We always think referrals are about us because we receive it, but it's not. It's about your referral source helping someone who has a problem. You just happen to be the solution provider. And if you can look at it that way, which does make me a contrarian in the industry, right? Then you understand, wait, if referrals aren't about me, then why in the world am I asking for them? I need to do a better job, right? Of building a relationship with my referral sources so that I'm naturally the person they think of to refer 
because it's not about me. It's about them helping people. And I want to make them look good. So ultimately, I think just by looking at it from a contrarian perspective allows everything about how I teach to look different. The only thing I will say that we very much all have in common is we truly do all believe from, from what I've seen that referrals do come from relationships. They don't come from strangers. Like you've got to know somebody for the most part to get a referral. But it's at that point, everything else kind of diverges for kind of how we teach and our philosophy. Stacy, this is great. I, I'm going to go ahead and wrap this up. Um, I honor your time and and ask you the same question I've asked every guest since I started the first uh, show back in 2015. And that is... If you could give one piece of advice to an agent just getting started in the business, what would it be? So I have a lot of new agents who come to me and they say, they told me if I just told everybody I knew that I was a real estate agent, then the referrals and the new business would just roll in. And it's three years later and I'm still waiting. Like, why hasn't it happened? And I would tell a new agent who's getting started, your relationships are going to serve you and feed you and pick you up when things go sideways as they have been known to do more now than ever. And so you have to take time making sure that when you're developing those relationships, you're coming at it from a place that it's not because you want to sell them a home or get a referral from them for someone who wants to use you as the real estate agent. But ultimately, at the end of the day, it's because you're looking to help them. And if you can help people, trust me, it will definitely come back to you as well. Yes, I want you to start off with a clean database and some processes and systems in place as well. But I want you to go into your business as a real estate agent. And I want you to think about it from the perspective of if I want to grow this business by referrals specifically, I have got to be really, really good at taking care of relationships and not always paying attention to the end game of the referral, but how I can cultivate that relationship and take care of that person, because that's what we need more of in this world. And that typically is what comes back to serve us well. Stacy, if somebody wants to reach out to you, because you, if you have a book, you have a podcast, you have a coaching business, some amazing things. How do they do that? Yeah. So the easiest place is home base, which is my website, mm -hmm. stacybrownrandall.com. And I always tell folks, Stacy is with an E because most time they get it wrong. But so the, my website is the home base where you can find out everything about me, my podcast, Roadmap to Grow Your Business, my book, Generating Business Referrals Without Asking, articles, resources, all kinds of stuff. But the first place I always tell folks to start, if they really are interested in how well do I generate referrals right now and how well can I generate referrals without asking for them, I actually have a nine question quiz they can take at referralquiz.com. Just go to that website to answer those nine questions, get your results and figure out what level of a referral ninja are you at. I want you to be at the master level, but don't worry if you're not because only 2% of people who take the quiz without knowing anything land at the master level, but you'll get your level and then you'll get a roadmap that shows you what do you need to do? What gaps do you need to close in your business to get you on the path to becoming a referral ninja master? That quiz, I believe, we call it the referral ninja quiz. I believe that quiz alone helps people understand, do I want to do this? Do I want to do the work? Or do I not? It's a great, easy, free place, of course, to start. Stacy, you have been amazing here. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, I can't. In fact, I may be reaching back out to you for some other um, ideas. I think you're you're doing some wonderful, wonderful work. Thank you so much for your time. Oh my gosh, my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Sessions podcast. To leave a review or a rating, go to ratethispodcast.com slash RE Sessions. You can also subscribe to the podcast at your favorite podcast listening app. Finally, you can go to the realestatesessions.com and subscribe to our email newsletter and be notified whenever a new episode is released. Hey.